Hello and welcome to GIST Radio. We are a casual radio station where we broadcast when we have something to say. GIST stands for Getting the Shit Together, and we broadcast important interviews and information for artists and creators of all kinds. For more information on GIST, please log into our website at www.gyst-ink.com, where you will find free resources, software, and publications for artists. You can email us and let us know what you would like to hear about at info at gyst-ink.com. Thanks for tuning in. Hello. Hello, listeners. Sorry for that blank spot there, a little technical difficulty. I am Caro Tomei, your host, and what I do on this podcast is seek out artists who have hybridized their careers to include some form of programming that engages the public. So that could be an ongoing project, an artist collaborative, a business, a nonprofit, an artist-run space, whatever entity it takes. Um, We want to champion people who embrace a DIY approach to diversifying their practice beyond the studio or beyond, you know, an individual art form that uh, then creates community. And um, this show helps them share these experiences so that others out there can maybe be inspired and get some know-how about how to just do it when you when you have an idea for a project. And so my guest today is Brian Sonia Wallace, who is the artistic hello, hello. director. Hi, Brian. Are you with me there? I'm right here. Okay. Hi. You hear me? Yes. Good. Then I hear you and we all hear you. <laughs> just, you know, this, <laughs> This wonderful blog talk, uh, simple but virtual studio is um, is kind of a can be a little quirky, but we're now we're on and we're rolling. And I want to hear all about you, David. I don't know you personally. We, we're meeting right now, right here online <laughs> at this moment. But I found mm-hmm. out about your project through social media. Um, I troll social media incessantly for you know projects and artists and what are people doing. And I I caught wind of the Nevermore Metro Immersive Arts Festival, your project and many people's project through uh, David Mack, who runs Artist Magnet. I follow him virtually and, and you have several partners. So once I got into, oh, what is this Nevermore Festival? You know, I started seeing all the connections there and it sounds mm. like an incredible project and I just want to dive in. But first, let me um, ask you a little bit about yourself because uh, again, I, you're an artist, uh, I believe a writer, poet and other things possibly. I want to hear a little bit about you and then just go into, dive into it, how did this project, the kernel of the idea come about and who stepped forward to start making it happen? Great. So, uh, yeah, my name is Brian Sonia Wallace. I um, started out actually as a theater director. Um, I ran a theater company for a number of years in Scotland, working on mostly devised work uh, or collaborative work. And so um, what that basically means is that I would come into the rehearsal space with a kernel of an idea and I would work with a creative team on actually realizing it and increasingly got into uh, immersive work, site-specific work, interactive stuff that the audience uh, is really a part of. I'm really a big believer that if we want to get people away from TV screens and movie theaters, 
you have to give them an experience they couldn't have there. You have to give them something that they can really get their hands into. Um, mm-hmm. From there, coming back to L.A., uh, I, I worked on a few different theater things. I met Dave Mack, actually, the, the producer for this project, while I was working on a project called Bike Odyssey L.A. Uh, with an a organization called Cycle, affiliated with Metro. And um, that was a all-cycling adaptation of The Odyssey. And so I took the text of Homer's The Odyssey, and we adapted it so that each of the monsters was kind of a local L.A., stereotypes. So like the Cyclops was a gentrifying hipster. Cersei was a Hollywood casting agent. Um, and we did it with the actors and the audience all on bikes. And we toured wow. through different neighborhoods, different neighborhoods in Los Angeles, partnering with local cycling organizations. Um, Cause there's this huge audience of cyclists, which is, is getting a lot of music programming and some film programming, but really no theater. Um, and I met Dave, he was working on Invisible Cities with the industry, which was the opera at Union Station. Um, right. As a producer that was, for that. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Um, uh, the director of that show has been on my uh, on my show before, actually, when he had just um, finished the um, incredible Union Station opera piece that the industry did. And uh, so you're really, and yep. I'm just so interested in interactive theater like this. And it, it, it dovetails into like my background is a little bit more visual art, but perform performance mm-hmm. art, but it all, it all, it's all kind of the same thing when you're talking about engaging an audience and presenting art and making it part of the community and part of the city and what um, the industry is doing and David Mack and now you is really, it's, it's becoming a real amazing thing in LA that is, being done more and more and it's so exciting because it is a new approach definitely and uh the thing sounds incredible i can't believe i missed that <laughs> first so, i've heard of so it i actually came to, to poetry and the sort of writing practice through this performance lens i did what i thought about as a performance art piece at the beginning where mm-hmm. i tried to um or i did i should say uh pay my rent for a month uh only using poetry And so what I would do is I would go to different art galleries and art walks and food truck events and everywhere that I could. And I would set up a uh, manual typewriter and I would sit there and I would write poems for people um, for, for tips basically. Um, Wow. And And you managed to pay your rent with that. So, right. So it was a social media campaign. And I said, (laughs) let's, let's see if this is possible you know, in America right. in the 21st century. Right. Can and you actually it, make a living at your art? Especially, and it actually worked. Yeah. It worked so well. It ended up parlaying into like, I ended up having like a regular column writing haikus for Dollar Shave Club. I've written like commissioned pieces for the county. So just that act of getting out on the street, finding new audiences, mm-hmm. engaging community um, with this artistic practice, all of a sudden went from it being, you know, knocking at the doors of the literary establishment saying, please, may I have some of your crumbs to, yeah. uh, engaging with a mix of community organizations and private enterprise and having like legit a poetry business. So my poetry business, which is the, my sort of end of the partnership in this project is called Rent Poet. Um, and I also co-manage a group called Melrose Poetry Bureau that does kind of at a massive group scale uh, typewriter installations um, with poets and sort of stage shows that are interactive poetry. Um, and so I'm coming off of that into this project, Nevermore Metro Immersive uh, Arts yeah. Festival, thinking about it not as a theater festival, which is originally what we had kind of talked about, but as an arts festival, saying we're going beyond 
immersive theater to what are the different art forms that are immersive that can be. And Nevermore is, is from Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. And so the whole thing is sort of themed around Poe, although not, you know, not tied too closely to him. And this idea of how can we take poetry and how can we take this model of a literary festival where you have readings and organizations come and table, but it's not necessarily that exciting to a general public. How can we take that model and transform it into something that people can really like dig their teeth into something that's really engaging, really interactive, that has all these moving parts that has theatrical elements that has poetry elements, but beyond just, you know, poets on stage reading, there's poets on typewriters who will write you personally a poem or, you know, there's a used car salesman who will sell you used dreams, but you have to give him an old dream of yours first. And so it's creating this whole environment for people to explore coming out of the neighborhood, coming out of this conception of uh, kind of the stories around Poe's life and beyond his work, which a lot of people know, which is sort of, you know, early American horror and sci-fi, uh, which is kind of fun and has a huge community in L.A., his life itself is this really interesting starving artist story um, with this big mystery around how he died. Some people say it was alcohol poisoning. Some people say it was uh, a, like a brain tumor. Some think it was another kind of physiological thing. Um, back in, in those days, uh, he died four days after an election. He was actually found in the street after an election. And so they think that perhaps... Um, the police in those days would drug people and take them to different polling stations to make them Whoa. vote over and over again. Oh um, my goodness. During this, this era of I American wanna make history. It, and, and yeah, I want to make a clip about actually, that. About, <laughs> I shouldn't make a joke ahead. about how that might happen in this, in this election, but uh, <laughs> well, crazy, I, don't crazy think, election. I don't think that that will happen, but our performance right. is seven days, seven days before the, um, the presidential right. elections. And so wow. it's, it's like two or three days before Halloween, another right. day before Dia de los Muertos, which is a huge holiday in LA. Yes. And then just a week before the, pri the uh, not the primaries, the actual elections. Yeah. And so yeah. we kind of have this confluence of factors and thinking about site-specific work. It's not just uh, responding to the place, especially with a one-day festival like ours. It's responding to the time. Sure. Um, well, and, and also we're in the bringing, middle of all sorts of stuff. And I, I like the idea of also bringing, uh, you know, Edgar Allan Poe into, you know, you're bringing it into the contemporary sphere, which is also a wonderful thing to do to connect literature to the contemporary life. And, you know, not, and that's a wonderful kind of uh, line to, to draw as well. You know, OK, so let's unpack some of these layers because you've talked you've told us so much already. And I'm kind of like, oh, wait, I, I, I want to ask some questions <laughs> about certain areas. Um, so this sounds I mean, it just sounds like so fun and unbelievably creative to that you've come up with all of these ideas and for programming but going back a little uh, who was having this conversation so you know you did you come up with the idea how did your partners in producing come into play you know you have a lot mm. of strong partners and that's I think what's making this very large project uh, looks like be very uh, going to be very successful a and partnering with Metro, which I want to get to. So but back up a little. So just ha having the idea, bringing the idea to who, who did you bring the idea to and how did the producing partners kind of embrace it? Uh, did, mm. Yeah. I, I just, I want to know sure. a little bit about that. So um, 
as I said, Dave and I met a couple of years ago, and we've just kind of been staying abreast of each other's work since then. I mm-hmm. think we share a lot in terms of the ethic of our work, in terms of having uh, a really deep-seated desire to uh, create work that is accessible, that is reaching audiences that are traditionally uh, left out of dominant narratives. Um, yeah. And to create work that's really uh, happening in and embracing and, and um performing for people as they're performing back in their everyday lives to put that in the most conceptual terms possible. I actually, the, the concept really has evolved a lot a year ago in October, because, you know, grant funding uh, cycles always have a huge uh, lag time. Basically I applied for a city of LA artist in residency grant to create what at that point I was conceptualizing as a gentrification themed haunted house. Um, okay. And so the idea behind that, I, I had gone last year, there was a, a wonderful haunted house in West Hollywood called the Lesbian Feminist Haunted House, Killjoy's Castle. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if you saw that, but it was great. So they had things like the bathroom set, oppressor and depressed, and you had decide, to decide which to go into. And a deranged women's studies professor took you through all of these like sort of performance art exhibitions that mirrored the format of a traditional haunted house, but really were a fairly deep theoretical exploration of feminism and feminist history. Um, and I loved that. And it sold yeah. out and people came and people embraced it because it took this populist format and it did this right. thing with it that was very conceptual. Right. Um, and so I, I had applied to do something similar, thinking about gentrification and, and displacement, um, and got that grant, was continuing to talk to Dave about it. We applied together for, and this is another one of our partners, this Creative Economic Development Fund, uh, which is CERDNA Foundation, Center for Cultural Innovation, and uh, City of LA Department of Cultural Affairs. Um, and we talked to the LA Tourism and Convention Board alongside that uh, and the Office of Councilmember Nuri Martinez, who are other uh, kind of major partners in this, and ended up getting that fund to create something a little different with the, the goal of increasing metro ridership and uh, kind of activating Van Nuys Boulevard, which is one of uh, Mayor Eric Garcetti's great streets. It's in that initiative. Yeah, yeah and so your project is from... place in the San Fernando Valley focus there yes, so that was right. kind of a strategic thing on metro's part did they you know is that did they say let's let's target this uh orange line or i mean how what, did the because it sounds like there's a lot of flow of partners and and your right. ideas and then their input of what they wanted to see to maximize the um not only the audience but again i love the idea of of you know uh ridership on the metro metro and then this great street san fernando so th- these were all conversations you right. had with your funders and your um, producers as you went along? So at first, yeah, it first came out of the, the City of LA Artist in Residence. They actually were the ones who said, hey, we really um, are interested in having more take place in uh, Council District 2 in Van Nuys and Valley Village um, and these neighborhoods. Would you consider doing your project there? And then Dave actually uh, lives there and has mm-hmm. been a, a resident there for a number of years and knows a lot of the artists in the community um, and as part of that project, one of my commitments is to doing workshops with the local community, to working with local artists to make the project happen. So it was like, oh, this is a perfect fit. Um, right. We actually oh, and we're, 
Metro Metro is a partner of ours in the sense of of us using some of their stuff. We actually don't get any resources or uh, artistic support from Metro, and they you know they're being cautious. They're a government entity. Um, mm-hmm. None of the funding from the project comes directly from Metro. It's more city cultural funders seeing this as an opportunity to create a civic resource. And I think that's so important for me, coming out of the idea of you know the gentrification haunted house to say beyond just talking about this issue. What are things that we can do in kind of an activist mode to, to work on it, to activate people around, around this neighborhood, around culture, around transit, around development, and, and have those conversations? Right. And, um, but even just the fact of, I mean, getting the, quote, permission to activate the line. I mean, that sounded like that, it, that's not, that was not a problem. It was just them saying, yes, we're going to use this event to also publicize our, um, you know, wonderful transit system. Um, I think that's a great Well, we're, we're, in, we're in process with that, actually. It wasn't a problem until last week. Uh, we've mm. been talking to various people at Metro, and, and last week they came to us, and they, they I think, got a little bit spooked um, Tell me, by I mean, the idea cool. of this I stuff. Like, I like hearing about the challenges as well. I don't want you to give anything away that you don't want to, but, I mean, that's interesting to me. To me. You know, so there, there was, there was you're, you're at a hurdle there where they got a little nervous, you're saying. Are they, is that where was their nervousness located, just about having art in the public on their property that they wouldn't know kind of would, can't control or wouldn't know what was what was that, is that what that what it was about? You know, it's it's a busy transit line. One of the things I'm I'm working on for this week is actually getting uh getting the contact there on the phone and kind of being able to tell her a little bit more about the project because uh really what we're doing with the audience is there's a hub at Woodley Park, uh, which is right next to Lake Balboa, and that's you know a city park. And then there's this walk to the first metro station, which will be a big kind of theatrical walk. And then when the audience is actually on the um, their metro buses in that neighborhood and the stations, that's its own theatrical experience right there. We'll be giving them some stuff to read. I'm actually working right now on seeing if we can text the audience throughout the performance so their phones will mm-hmm. actually be engaging with their phones with content for the, the um, festival. But there's not going to be big performances or set pieces or anything like that happening on Metro. So everything that they're oh, okay. doing is actually kind of their own independent adventure on the Metro system. And then once they get off, you know, a performer will beckon them away and they'll come and they'll kind of start discovering bits of the neighborhood with performances happening all around. Um, so I think, I think Metro's fear is just that we're going to have, you know, a brass band on the bus in a busy line, <laughs> you know, right. as people are right. trying to go to work and they're going to get yeah. all of these complaints. So it's, it's mostly just an issue of working with these different entities and, yeah, and communication. of course everything moves slowly and making sure that they understand exactly what we're doing and how it really is, yeah. you know, it's, it's all protected uh, free speech action, and it's not anything that's going to be disrupting their everyday service, which is actually cool for an audience because it means that you're having this totally out of this world experience, you know, sitting next to someone who's just coming back from work. Absolutely. And so that yeah. in itself becomes a piece of the performance. Absolutely. When you go out in the public like that and the surprise of people and the people who just don't expect it's all, it's the non art audience and the, you know, the quote average person going about their day when they come upon something like this. And then you're also there aware of it, but, but watching their 
reaction and interaction, it, it mm-hmm. becomes part of the experience, which is amazing. I, I remember feeling that so distinctly when I attended um, the uh, Union Station piece. Well, oh gosh, what was it called? The uh, Industries piece? Invisible Cities. Invisible Cities, right, because in in a similar vein, you had headphones, audience had headphones, the non, non-audience didn't, but they were watching it as well. And then that kind of interaction, that was so... Like it was a profound experience for me, and I cannot wait mm-hmm. to also uh, attend your festival and have that similar kind of uh, experience because mm-hmm. it's just I think the, uh, magic the in there. Thing, the coolest thing with that kind of experience is when the audience, when when the non, the non-ticketed audience starts performing mm-hmm. for you, because mm-hmm. people going through their everyday lives, you know, it, it you create this, you know, this stage for them essentially, and I've had really profound experiences for instance um around the the california primaries we did a whole initiative uh with la 2050 called poets at the polls we had poets and typewriters at polling stations writing poems for people as they came out and we had so many people read us a poem back or someone who knew a piece and would perform for the whole street you know yeah who just came there to vote and ended up performing their poetry well, that's, that's your goal. That's, what I'm really you, that's, that's for. exactly that's right. That's that's the the that's the brass ring right there, right when that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fabulous. And we've we've done our best to kind of create those spaces and accommodate. So, like, there is a main stage that will have poets, including you know, poet laureate Rodri- Luis Rodriguez and various kind of prominent LA poets reading. But one of the things we've been really keen on is keeping us at least sections of each hour that are open mic time. So anyone who wants oh, to great. can get up and share share the stage with the top poets um, and have their work heard and have their voices represented. Yeah. That's that's amazing. I mean, this is such a large scale production. Talk a little bit about who your partners are and how many people it's taking to kind of pull this off and just like the team that you have had to, <laughs> you know, pull together to make it all happen. I... I uh, am so excited and profoundly grateful um, to have David Mack, who's produced Meet Me at Metro. He produced Invisible Cities. Uh, he works right now with uh, Heidi Duckler Dance Theater, who do site-specific dance. Like, this is his wheelhouse as a producer. Yeah. And I right. get to be an artist and be along for the ride. And, like, you know, when Metro comes to us with their concerns and I'm freaking out, he goes, oh, no, like, this is what we do, you know? Uh, right. Something... He's well versed in now in the issues that come with doing a project like this. Right. Oh, it's it's an amazing partnership. And then our production manager, Claudia Duran, is uh, works with Casa 0101 in Boyle Heights and just is um, and has, has done a lot of the Meet Me at Metro so efficient and so wonderful in just being able to plan all of the logistics of this. We have mm-hmm. actually a for a project like this, six stage managers. Um, we're in a normal project, you would have one and everyone's going to be connected to each other remotely via their phones to be able to coordinate about, you know, when an audience is showing up, uh, when the performers need to be on, how that's going to work. Um, the format of this is a little bit sandbox style, which means that the audience is kind of free to explore on their own. It's not a guided tour. And so Mm -hmm. that raises a whole nother set of challenges for the artists and for the type of work that you can present, because it means that maybe someone will, it's not like people will come at regular 30 minute intervals. Maybe someone will stay and watch one of the pieces for an hour, or maybe, you know, people will come every five minutes and new people will be coming in. 
Right. So yeah, you can't really control with... the flow so much because it's a come and go and yeah, kind of thing. But you exactly. have to be prepared so part for of, that. Part of what I'm working with the artists on is really thinking about this as a, as durational art, which is something mm-hmm. that I haven't seen a lot of in LA and that I'm really interested in. You know, what does it mean if you don't conceive of this as you have, you know, 10 five minute performances at half hour intervals, you have one six hour performance or two three right. hour performances um, right. that people are coming in and interacting with and engaging with. And that that performance often becomes like a station. It's an offering. I'm really into the idea of how is each performer kind of giving the audience a little gift, a little something mm-hmm. personal that they're taking away. Um, and you can watch that interaction and you can see other people receive that. You can do it yourself. There's just a lot of different ways to be able to engage with each, uh, with each artist, which is right. really exciting to me. Yeah, absolutely. And how many artists do you have involved at this point? We're still locking down the exact numbers. I'm still working on kind of developing out exactly what this looks like. Um, we have a number of different artist groups uh, mm-hmm. who I'm really excited on working with. So one of our big partners is the Eclectic Theater Company, which is based uh, on Laurel Canyon, right up there in Valley Village. Um, and they are sort of the end of the show. They'll be the first indoor space that you go into, and it's kind of the underworld or the tomb of Poe or the party mm-hmm. at Dia de los Muertos, the party for the dead. And so you kind of get to go into their space and get out of the daylight and suddenly you're in this whole other world that they're creating. Um, That's going to be really exciting. We have uh, a whole range of literary organizations that are going to be tabling. So that's um, Beyond Baroque, Right Bloody Press, Tia Chucha Press, Lamplight Press, a number of others that are going to be there as organizations um, representing their writers in the San Fernando Valley, but also meeting community residents in the San Fernando Valley and talking to them about what they're reading and what they want to read and how they interact with literature and kind of getting more of a sense of that community. Um, The list goes on and on. Uh, We're working with uh, the Lunas Locas, which is a Chicana um, women's writers organization. um, And they're bringing a number of poets out and they're going to be doing a lot of the more sort of poetry installation pieces. And they're just an incredible group um, of folks who you, you don't necessarily normally hear. And so having them, I think is, is a real great thing. And then, um, USC VR, which is the, the student virtual reality um, kind of club at USC, is actually bringing a couple of students who are working in really new media uh, virtual reality pieces out. So these are art pieces where you put on a headset and you actually enter into this other world. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and part of, part of my focus in calling it immersive arts is to have this range of things that show, no, it's, it's not just theater. There's a whole uh, range of artists who are working on stuff that can be considered immersive um, and that can actually draw you in in different ways within the same experience. Um, one of the groups I'm most excited about that we have is the uh, Southern California Hand Weavers Guild, um, which is a traditional arts guild that is uh, weavers and spinners. Um, so it's, it's mostly... Uh, you know, senior women working with looms, working with spinning wheels, and they're coming and demoing. And they're not going to be, you know, performing as such, but they're kind of showing people what they're working on and showing that, you know, 
kind of right next to virtual reality and making you think about this lineage of art and how it all fits together. And that's something that I, I just personally like, can't wait to see. I'm really yeah. fascinated by that and how, how all of these different art forms speak to each other, especially when it's stuff that you don't normally see at a, at a festival, at a show, at anything. How does that change the nature of, of what we think about as art? And I've been reading a lot of, reading and engaging with a lot of art theory and thinking about how everyone is performing all the time and what it means to make versus what it means to watch. Brian, my, my mind is kind of blown. <laughs> this is like, it just <laughs> I'm like kind of just, I'm speechless and you are so good at articulating all of this. So you're like the perfect Thank guest you. because no, it's you, you, and obviously, yeah, you're on a, a, a really high level here of, you know, thought and engaging. And this project is so exciting. I feel like, I'm like doing a little dance of excitement because, um, <laughs> you know, here you are, I just to to do something like this in LA is incredible. You're kind of breaking new ground and, and uh, pulling a, something together, the project together that started with this great idea and has become something incredibly supported by the community and your partners. And I can't imagine that this is not going to be huge and very well publicized and reviewed because it's really pretty cutting edge. And I'm really excited to have heard about it on, on to hear your thoughts on the show. It's really cool. Um, turning into like a geeky little fan of like, Oh my God, it's so cool. <laughs> I can't wait to go. Um, but I'm really impressed with the um, level of professionalism that you're bringing to the project and all of your partners that are doing the same. And, and that is really inspirational. I hope that people listening are, you know, inspired by that too. And you're doing it very strategically and well supported and it's, it's already, it hasn't even happened. And it's a success story mm-hmm. of, a, of an Thank incredible you. DIY project. Absolutely. So let's tell people how to, I mean, obviously you can just take the bus by accident, but you know, 20 bucks, to to come to be engaged in this is pretty darn reasonable. That's what I saw as the ticket price. What's the best way for people to get a ticket and, uh, you know, and tell everybody to do the same? So if if people are listening in the uh, the next three days, we're (laughs) finishing up our Kickstarter uh, with pre-sale tickets. I'm going to get this out. I'm going to get it out on social media quick. Nice. It's it's really yeah. an opportunity for people, first of all, to get cheaper tickets. We're doing uh, $15 tickets on the Kickstarter um, mm-hmm. and also to take away a piece of the show. So we're, you know, for mm-hmm. higher reward levels, we're giving away um, Nikkel. Oh, my God, I haven't even mentioned Nikkel yet. Is this incredible poet and maker who makes an event every year at the Griffith Park merry-go-round called the Poetry Circus. And Ooh. she's the one who's curating the Poetry Hub. And she just has this, like, amazing passion and love for Edgar Allan Poe and this like sense of like his story hasn't been told right. We are going to make sure people know the real story. And Uh she has been making, she has been literally painting his poetry onto umbrellas and top hats and a black wedding dress that she found and so his words are actually going to be moving around the festival and audience are going to be carrying them and wearing them and experiencing. So anyways, the higher level of the Kickstarters are, are some of that incredible work that you actually then get to take home with you. Um, beyond that, we're selling tickets on Eventbrite. Um, and we're actually doing something that uh, Invisible Cities at Union Station did, which is called Dynamic Pricing. And it's a way to reward people who are buying early. So often in shows, you'll see you know, 
if you buy early, you pay the $30 ticket price. And if you come last minute on the day of, maybe you just show up and they're desperate for audience and they say, oh, well, just come in. Or we'll give you half off tickets the day of, flash sale. Um, we're trying to do the opposite of that. We're trying to say, look, buy early because we want to reward people who are investing early. So if you're buying early, that's you know the $15 ticket price. That's the $20 ticket price. And as we get closer to the show date and as we start selling out, we're going to keep bringing those prices up as the demand goes. Sure. Um, sure. Yep. And so we're, we're really excited about that. It's a, a little bit of a controversial model in the theater world here. People get pissed off because they hear about a cool show. And when they finally decide to buy tickets, the prices have gone up. Um, but that's a well, piece of the culture, the culture of encountering art in LA that we're really trying to change. And we're really trying to work on and get people to say, no, like I heard about this project. I want to get in there early. Um, sure. So having said that, and so that's, that's Eventbrite that you can find those on. Uh, if you just search for Nevermore or Nevermore Metro Immersive Arts Festival, you'll find that. The other thing is we are really committed to making this event accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. So that's the ticket for the full experience. But if you just want to, you know, come even like with a, your family to the literary festival in uh, Woodley Park, that's completely open, completely free. It's our box office, but it's also a non-ticketed event. And that'll be food vendors and poets reading, open mic Wonderful. prizes, all sorts of stuff. So part of the, the impetus behind the festival is to make stuff that everyone can encounter, that everyone can enjoy, but also to invite people who want to support the arts, who want to have that enhanced experience to come and, and buy tickets. Right. Well, um, I'm gonna I'm jumping on Kickstarter the second we get off this uh, <laughs> this interview because I've I've scrolled through and you do have some really great uh, incentives for you know discounted tickets plus all these uh, bells and whistles on top and I I'm, I'm you're gonna get my uh, my <laughs> you're gonna get my Kickstarter pledge soon yes, and I'm going to. One. Yes, one more, and I'll buy two because I want to bring someone or maybe more. And I'm going to tell my friends and everybody, this sounds like such an exciting project, and I really appreciate you being on the show to tell us all about it. And I think there's no way that someone who has listened is not going to uh, want to engage with this. Um, So, Brian, thank you for coming on Just Radio and talking about Nevermore, and I will see you at the event for sure. Thank you so much, Kara. Oh, you are welcome. This is Just Radio. I'm going to outro by uh, telling you our artist-run company provides information and technology solutions created by and for artists. Our website, Just Inc., just-inc.com has a plethora of free resources on every subject you could imagine for being a professional artist and doing projects like even like Brian's. I mean, we have just information of all kinds uh, to back up your ideas and help you in your DIY practices and uh, diversifying your career. So Just Inc. is also Just Radio, and this was Just Do It, and Just Do It. Go to the Nevermore Festival. And listen again for another inspiring artist next week. Old Navy's Saturday Steal is back with the season's biggest one-day deal. 50% off all jeans, plus kids' tees and girls' tanks and leggings for just $3. One day only this Saturday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Validate 5 excludes clearance jeans. $3 deal select styles only. Is your basement or garage full of old house paint that you know you'll never use? I know mine is. Avocado green, hot pink, antique white. That is a nice shade of white, though. 
You know, it's easy to recycle your leftover paint, stain, and varnish all over California. Most paint care drop-off locations are paint and hardware stores that take back leftover paint. Keep what you need and recycle the rest. Find a drop-off site near you at paintcare.org.